Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Amen. You can be seated. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts. We have been in the book of Romans for a year. We just finished it up, and I want to begin a new series today called Rethinking Church. Acts chapter 2, as we will read in just a moment, what the first church was like there in Jerusalem. It makes some application about how we as a congregation desire to be that kind of church. Robert Coleman wrote a book decades ago that I read in seminary 30 years ago called The Master's Plan of Evangelism. This is what Robert Coleman says about the church. He said it 30 years ago. It's true today. Something is missing in the life of the church. Today's institution has a polite form of religion, but it seems to lack power. The power to radically change the wayward course of society. This is not to say that nothing worthwhile is happening, and I would agree with him. We have some great things happening in our congregation. In fact, he says, all kinds of things are going on. But if success is measured by big meetings, big buildings, and big budgets, then the church appears to be doing quite well. But... And his thesis is, if the church is measured by, are we making disciples, we can be found lacking. I want you to read, follow along with me in Acts chapter 2, this description of the early church beginning in verse 41. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Then fear came over everyone, and many signs, wonders and signs were performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. By the way, there's a picture, uh, a model of, of how churches still meet today. They, they gather together in this place as a corporate body and then meeting house to house during the week. They ate their food with a joyful and humble attitude, praising God and having favor with all the people. And this is significant, the last part of verse 47 there. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. The church got to the place where they got out of the way and they allowed the Lord Jesus Christ to add to their number those who were coming to know him. God is the one who adds the increase. We sow, we water, but God brings the increase, as Paul said. There's another verse in Matthew 16 where Jesus said clearly, I will build my church. So we have to step back and say, when we think about this church, we think about Coastal Oaks Church and any other local congregation. It's up to the Lord Jesus Christ to grow his church, to, to build his church. But what I want us to do is, is rethink church this month. We're going to go probably into January talking about this. To rethink means to, to think about, to, to reassess, to reexamine, maybe redefine and refocus. And that's really what we've been working on. And I'll share a little bit more with you as we go through uh, the message today. Rethinking the way church happens here. And what I want to do is I want to answer the why. Why are we rethinking church? Pastor Kevin, I thought things were going well. Things are, it seems like we have good attendance. It seems like the, the offerings are okay. All of those things are good. So why in the world do we need to step back and rethink church? I hope today I can at least answer the why for you. 
First of all, we are rethinking church because as pastor, number one, if you're taking notes, as pastor, I have a responsibility to lead and protect this flock. As pastor, I have a responsibility to lead and protect this flock. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 5. As Peter gives these words of instructions to those who lead local congregations. Therefore, as a fellow elder, verse 1, and witness to the sufferings of the Messiah, and also a participant in the glory about to be revealed, I exhort the elders among you, or the, the overseers among you, the pastors among you, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing it of, out of compulsion, but freely according to God's will, not for money but but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive an unfading crown of glory. Now let me just tell you something. That is a powerful, strong passage for me as a pastor, especially when I get to the last verse there, that when Christ, the chief shepherd, appears, I will stand before him and I will give an account for the ministry of Coastal Oaks Church. And I, I want, I desire, and this is selfish, I guess, but I desire to hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. I, I desire for him to, to say, because of the ministry of Coastal Oaks Church, Kevin, this is your reward. My responsibility is a heavy responsibility. In Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says that, that our leaders watch over the souls of, of the congregation, and for that we will give an account. I take that very seriously. To oversee means to, to, to not just lead, to not just guide, and it is my responsibility to help cast the vision of the church, but to oversee means to protect and help the church beware. A couple of things that I believe my responsibility as a pastor is, and this is why we're rethinking the church, is to protect the church from drifting from our main calling. To protect the church that might be drifting from our main calling. Have you ever been out on the Gulf of Mexico on in an inner tube or a float, and you get out there and you're just out of a few hundred yards or maybe 50 yards offshore and you're just enjoying the waves and you're in your inner tube and you look up and you've been out there for like 30 minutes and you look at the beach and it doesn't look like the same beach when you got in the inner tube, what happened? You drifted. You're just working your way down with the, with the waves. That's what happens in the life of a church. We have a tendency to drift away from our main calling. We're going to look at that main calling in a minute, but I just want to say this. It is the natural tendency for organizations, whether it's a, a business or whether it's a church, to drift away from our original calling and our purpose. So my responsibility as pastor is to help keep us from drifting away from what God has called us to be and do. Secondly, I think implied in that is to protect the church from the mediocre status quo um, good things that we can have accomplished and do in this place. It's a good thing to do good things. There are a lot of good things we can be doing in Part of my responsibility as pastor is to say, let's look beyond the good to the better to the best. Sometimes we have a tendency just to, uh, just to relax because things are going well. When our church was struggling to, to get uh, into the gym over there, when we outgrew the small building over here, there was a big change, but there was a sense of excitement that we can get past that because we're, we're striving for something big. And, and there, it was difficult. It wasn't easy. But we, we said, you know what, we're not satisfied just to sit in this small building with 40 or 50 of us. We believe God's called us to be bigger and better than that for reaching people for the kingdom. So then we, we met in the gym for years, and then we believed God wanted us to continue to, to reach people. And we, we went through the process of building this building debt-free. We, we continue to do that, and it's not easy. It would be easy just to say, I'm glad with the way things are. And just to kind of go, we've got it made. 
Well, you know, when we, when we moved into this building after all those years of struggle, it took us seven years of giving, we finally moved in, there was a sense of, ah, it's like I could almost feel this sigh of relief. We're finally in now. We don't have to put chairs away every week. We don't have to set up and tear down carpet and instruments. And there was this, this sense of relief, and we kind of settled in and got comfortable. My responsibility, not that I love this, but as pastor, is to keep us from getting comfortable. Apparently, that's working. Some of you have come to see me and said, Pastor, we're not comfortable. Um, Some things that we've been reading, I'm going to share with you in just a minute. One of the things that Tom Rayner says is people are busy doing church instead of being the church. And I'm I'm here to challenge us. Let's just don't do church. Let's let's be the church. Now, here's my, my story is why we're here, why as lead pastor I feel responsible for for saying it's time to rethink the church about five years ago I felt called of God to really focus we we began this discipleship process called operation multiplication I think it was about five years ago and and we did that for a while and that kind of caught on but it didn't and it sort of just fell by the wayside and then and then I about three years ago came up with what we call the master's plan of discipling and we tried to to come with up with a a plan of looking at our mission statement of loving God, connecting with others, reaching our world. And we worked on that for a while. And then we went through a design for discipleship series for a couple of years. And all of those things were good, but they didn't accomplish the purpose that I believe I was seeking them to accomplish. What happened in those situations, I've done a lot of reevaluating and evaluating over these years. Why did those not work? And I, I believe those, those plans did not work because I got the congregation to agree on the why. Yes, we need to do that because the Bible says do it. But I took up on myself the responsibility of the how. And I'm, I've learned the hard way that when you, when you take on the how of a vision, it's up to you to prop that vision up. And I, I struggled as a pastor to, to prop that, the how up. It, it became another plate to juggle. Y'all ever seen the guy in the carnival? Or the lady in the carnival? And they have a little stick and they spin the plate. And then they spin another plate. And I'm always panicking because I watched them keep and that's the way I felt as pastor I just was adding one more thing one more layer onto what we were already doing I believe that's why things did not go well it led if you've been around here the last few years it led to me going through burnout and taking a sabbatical and stepping back and through that time of sabbatical just praying God what what do you have for me and he gave me three things and they all start with s because pastors have to alliterate Number one, I felt God saying to me clearly in my praying, in my reading the Bible, in my journaling, slow down, slow down. I hear that all the time now, slow down. Secondly, simplify, simplify. And the third thing, focus on spiritual growth. So I came back and I began to share that vision with our leadership team. And so I, I told the leadership team, I believe we need to kind of step back and slow down and simplify. So we read through a book called The Simple Church, which really isn't a model for church growth. It's just a mindset, a, a, a mindset that churches could have adopted over our, 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 really our nation, across denominations. Churches have seen how simplifying makes things more effective. And I shared that with our leadership team. We took like a year going through that book. And as we've gone through that book, we've shared little bits of it, and people have shared a little bit, and, and I think what's happened is we've gotten anxious. Well, I know we've gotten anxious about what's next because I'm hearing all these things from that simple church book. So here's what I want us all to do right now with me. I want you just to take a deep breath and exhale, okay? It's going to be okay, all right? It's going to be okay. I've asked our leadership team to help me develop the how, 
and it's taken a while. Some of you are chomping at the bit. Pastor, we're ready to go. Let's get this thing going. Let's start our new discipleship strategy. I'm ready. And others of you are like, I'm almost ready. And some of you are like, I don't know if I'll ever be ready. So we're taking it slow because I, I believe it's not my responsibility to prop that up, but it's my responsibility to lead this congregation. So we started with our leadership team. Then we... The leadership team focused on coming up with a a general path, a a plan for making disciples. And then we took that to a smaller group we called the Disciples Path Planning Team. And uh, Pastor Andy has taken responsibility for leading that team. And they've been working through methodically, looking at the Bible, what the Bible says, and what our responsibility is about making disciples. Let me me say this before I go to my next point. Some of you are saying, am I going to get through all four of these? Point number one had a lot, okay? Here's, here's, the, here's what I want to say. There are some non-negotiables, all right? We are not going to change the Word of God. We are not going to change what we preach and teach. We are not going to change the Great Commission. We are not going to change our convictions. But in rethinking church, we're looking at our methodology. If it's not working, it might need to be changed. That's where we are. Philippians chapter 1. Just looking at verse 6 and 7 as Paul is talking about his, his passion for the, the churches. He says, I, I am sure of this, that he who started a work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart. Let me tell you something. I've shared this before. I love this church. I love this church so much that I'm willing to pay the price of the, the struggle, the challenge that we're going to have to go through to come up with a path that makes it possible for us to be a disciple making church. As Paul said, I feel this way. I have you in my heart. Church, I have you in my heart. And God started a work, and I believe he wants to complete it. I want to lead this church to be a disciple-making church. Secondly, we need to rethink the church because as a church, our commission is to make disciples. As a church, our commission is to make disciples. You've been around here a while. You know Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20, but we're going to look at it again. And focus on the the imperative in that passage of Scripture. Just to go back to the Word. What does the Bible call us to do? The Bible says in verse 18, Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus said, Go, make disciples. By the way, the baptizing and teaching, those those two statements just explain what making disciples is. They basically really are subordinate to that. They're the participles that say, make disciples, and and you're going to do it by baptizing, by teaching them to obey and to observe. Our commission is to make disciples. First of all, Jesus commanded that. He said to us, he said to his disciples, here's what I'm wanting you to do. As he left them to go be with the Father, here's his commission. The last thing he said, the most important thing, go make disciples. Disciples. Secondly, Jesus modeled for us how to make disciples. He modeled that for us. If you'll turn back to Matthew chapter 4, one verse, verse 19. Just a simple verse. Jesus says to his disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. I make you fish for people or fishers of men is the way I memorize that verse. That's Jesus modeling for us. That's his strategy. First of all, follow me. He wanted people to come to know him. That's conversion. We're to lead people to Christ. Secondly, he says, I will make you into. That's transformation. 
He's, he's called us to lead people to Christ and lead them through life transformation. And then he said, I'll make you fish for people. I'll make you fishers of men. You will multiply. So you have conversion, transformation, and multiplication. That's the model that Jesus left us. I was, I was preparing and praying through and looking at, and, and thought about Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want to look at that passage too. We use Deuteronomy 6 to, to teach how to parent our children. In verse 5, Jesus say, or, or Moses says this to parents. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. You, you've got to have a relationship with him. These words that I'm giving you today are to be on your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Bind them on, the, the, on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Here's what... What Moses said, here's how you train children. Every day, life on life. That's what it is. That's how you train kids. You don't take them to church and say, sit still while we instill. You don't take them to church and say, church, fix my kids. You live it out. You, you make it a part of your daily life, and you walk them to maturity. That's the way Jesus made disciples. It was life on life. That's the way he did it. Paul did it. If you read the Apostle Paul's testimony, we won't have time today, but Paul did the same thing, life on life. So our commission is to make disciples, and Jesus modeled it for us. It was life on life. That's the commission as a church that we have to obey. Thirdly, we're, think, we're rethinking church because as pastors, our role is to equip the church to be disciple makers. We're getting down to the how now. That, that rhymes. That was pretty good. We're getting down to the nitty-gritty. We're getting down to how does this happen and it's included in the why, but I want us to see how this fits. We're rethinking church because as pastors, our role is to equip the church to be disciple makers. As a senior pastor, that's my responsibility. As, as associate pastor, that's Pastor Andy's responsibility to equip the church. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 4. Again, if you've been around a while, you know this passage of Scripture. And if I can find Ephesians, I'll read it to you. Chapter 4 a great passage about the life of the church. But in verse 11, I'll just start there. The Bible says he, speaking of Jesus, personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the training of the saints, or some translations say equipping of the saints, that's believers, in the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by the cunning, by cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit, but speaking the truth in love. Let us grow in every way into him who is the head Christ. From him, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for the building of itself up in love by the power, by the proper working of each individual part. God says, pastors, teachers, you equip the church to be a disciple-making church. Aubrey Malfurs, who uh, teaches at Dallas Seminary, taught at Dallas Seminary, had some great things to say about leading churches, and, and, and he's talking about discipleship. He says, discipleship involves moving people wherever you find them, lost or saved, wherever you find them along to maturity. It is the, the goal or the, the finished product is not just to have a disciple, but as Paul mentions in verse 4 here, a mature 
disciple, a growing disciple, a a person who isn't just a disciple, but a person who makes disciples. And in reevaluating our our church and rethinking church, we're going to do some assessment. But but my, my assessment is a lot of us have made it to the stage of being a disciple, but the next step is to be disciple makers. And that's a challenge. We believe we're up for it. I'm going to read several statements here that over the next several weeks we're going to be using these statements so you don't have to get it all right now, but I just want to get them out there so you'll be thinking about it. When we talk about equipping the church to be disciple makers, we want to craft opportunities where people will encounter the grace of God. We believe that spiritual growth is a a path, a process, a, a path along which we go to spiritual maturity. And we need to design our church to move people along that path of spiritual growth. In one leadership meeting not too long ago, I asked how many of you were intentionally discipled and not very many hands go up. Now, most of those people on that team could say, yes, I'm, I'm growing, I'm a mature disciple, I'm, I'm leading others, but it just happened. It just happened in many of our lives. No, there was not a determined path. I want us as a church to have a, a, a determined path for us to go. We want, a, people, we want people to be in the right environment so they can grow spiritually. Understanding that spiritual transformation is a lifelong journey And our ministry methodology is to facilitate spiritual growth. We've facilitated a lot of good things, but in many areas we're lacking in facilitating spiritual growth. But here's the key. The bottom line is change lives. Transformation. Transformation is what we're after to be effective. Again, this is not a change in theology. It's not a change in our convictions. We're just changing the methodology a little bit so that we can see life transformation take place. In 2008, Starbucks went through a major change. Their CEO, Howard Schultz, was uh, over in Europe, and he was visiting coffee shops in Europe. And he noticed in those small local coffee shops, the baristas were passionate about what they were doing. They, they, they were pouring enthusiasm and excitement into every, every cup of coffee that they made. And as he watched that, he thought about Starbucks as it had come to that place, and he realized that the baristas in most Starbucks really were just going through the motions They, as a company, had put other things on them as responsibility of selling food and selling uh, souvenirs and selling music. And so here's what they did in 2008. They shut the company down for several hours, and they trained every one of their employees, like 7,000-some-plus Starbucks, on going back to the reason for Starbucks' existence. And what they basically said, let's go back to the essence of our company, which is all about making coffee. And Starbucks was floundering, and they are now doing well. Why? Because they stepped back and said, we've gotten away from our original purpose of just serving a great cup of coffee. And y'all can debate that, all right? I know. I know they're Starbucks lovers and Starbucks haters. But you can't argue with the results. So we want to equip this body, Pastor Andy and myself, to be a disciple-making church. And number four, we're rethinking the church, okay? It's all been about the organization of the church up to this point, but let's get very personal. We want to rethink the church because as followers of Christ, it is our responsibility to press towards Christ-likeness. It is our responsibility. It is not Pastor Kevin's responsibility for you to press towards Christ-likeness. Did you hear that? It is your responsibility. I believe when we begin to push and challenge, resistance comes because some people really don't want to be pushed and challenged. I want to leave the Holy Spirit to do that. I don't want to be the one pushing anybody to become a fully mature follower of Christ. I just want to paint the picture of how good it can be if we are. 
I want to paint a picture of what could happen in Rockport if Coastal Oaks Church became a disciple-making congregation that didn't just make disciples, but make disciples that make disciples. That's that reproduction. That's that multiplication. Listen to Philippians chapter 3. Verse 12. Not that I have already obtained or already reached the goal that I, or, or am already fully mature, Paul says, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have taken hold, been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I don't consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenward call in Christ Jesus. Here's what Paul says. He says, I have not arrived, but I'm pressing on toward the call, the call to be more Christ-like. What, what, is, what does spiritual maturity look like? What's the goal? To be Christ-like. Remember in Romans chapter 8, we've read that, verse 28, 29, that, that the goal is for us to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, to be more Christ-like, for Him to conform us. Someone said, responding to this call to, to be a disciple-maker means that He's going to have to unmake some things in me and remake some things in me. That's what you call transformation to be transformed to the image of Christ. Let me tell you something. Here's a sad truth. Years spent in church does not equal spiritual maturity. The number of years you've sat in a congregation does not equate to spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity equates to being a spiritual parent. And a spiritual parent is parenting, is leading people to Christ and walking them through the path of discipleship. Pursuing Christ is a non-negotiable part of the Great Commission. Now, hear me. I love what God is doing in this church. I, I, I delight, whenever I'm around friends who are pastors, I, I brag on everything that God has accomplished in and through the life of Coastal Oak Church. But as I, I come to this place in my ministry at 60 years of age, and if God gives me another 10 years, I really believe that I could just coast and we could have a good time for 10 years. I'm not saying I'm leaving in 10 years, but if, you know, just, just I don't know what I'll be like at 70. I, I don't want to think about it. But I know this, I could coast and we could get together every week and we could have a good time and we could encourage each other and we could say what a great church we have and we could just kind of keep going along through the motions. But I believe that what I want to say at this place in my ministry is I want to lead this church to the next level. I want to be able to stand before God and say, God, that is not just a great church. That's a great church that makes disciples that make disciples. Someone said, what we want to do is we want to plant trees under whose shade we will never rest. This is not about you. This is not about me. This is about the next generation of believers, the next generation of folks who are going to take the torch and be disciple makers who make disciples, who make disciples. That's our responsibility. So for you, as we start to un role, reveal, as God gives the leadership this path of discipleship, your responsibility is to say, I'm going to press toward maturity. I'm going to do whatever it takes for me to be a part of that. In some of our study, we were given an analogy that just fits so well. And what they said in the study was, many churches are like a travel agent. 
You know, you go to a travel agency, say, I want to go to the Bahamas, and they, they, they might help you book the trip, and they give you a brochure, and they say, here's what you need. And they give you the brochure, and you're on your own. That's a travel agent. Many of you have taken trips like that. Some of you are good with that. You like to do that. But many churches do that. We say, here's, here's the spiritual life. This is it. We might even have some literature we give you. We might even have a, a, a plan we hand you and say, go do it now. Then there's the travel agent. Then there's the, the tour guide. That's the way a travel agent works. Then there's the tour guide. The tour guide says, hey, I've been there, and I know the best places, and I know the best deals, and I'm not just going to hand you a brochure and say, go on your trip. I'm going to take you with me, and we're going to walk through this day by day, and I'm going to explain stuff to you, and you're going to come out on the other side having this incredible trip. That's what I want this to be. I don't want us just to be Here's, here's what we do at church. We have Sunday morning, and we have the connection classes that we do. We have some small groups at me, and we have these, and, and find a place and plug in. I want us to be where we come alongside and say, we're coming alongside you, new person, or whoever you are, wherever you are in your growth, and we want to walk you to the next place, the next phase, the next stage in your discipleship. And everybody's at a different place. Our desire is to make a path, to develop this path that we can implement that can walk people towards spiritual maturity. I want to lead this church to obey the Great Commission, to be a disciple-making church, to equip you to be disciples who make disciples. Pray together.